again, Al, it's all about just being gentle and being kind. You know, I, I really, I think I used to beat myself up a lot more when I was younger and, um, you know, I've been in business for almost 20 years now and I think when I was younger I used to be a lot more hard on myself but now I've really relaxed into the fact that, you know, I just need to get better myself and I don't want to compete against you and I just want to try to do my best in every moment and, and it is really that return to kind of, you know, it should be fun. <laughs> like we do, we just take it so seriously. Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories. This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. Today's guest is a return guest to the Standout Life series. Emma Isaacs was featured on episode two, so if you haven't listened to it, go back and tune in. And it is the second most listened to episode of the entire series. So she is phenomenal. And when I heard that Em was publishing her first book called Winging It, I knew that it was time for another chat. Em is the founder and global CEO of Business Chicks, which is Australia's largest community for women. Over the past 13 years, Emma has transformed Business Chicks from the ground up growing it from a group of 250 members to what it is today, a global enterprise that operates in two continents, 11 cities, and produces more than 100 events annually, with past speakers including Sir Richard Branson, Seth Godden, Dr Brene Brown, Ariana Huffington, Sir Bob Geldof, and Jamie Oliver. Born and raised in Sydney, Emma now lives in Los Angeles with her husband and five young children. Her book, which hit the bookshelves in Australia last week, is called Winging It. Stop thinking, start doing. Why action beats planning every time. This book is captivating. I read it overnight in one day. And in our conversation, we dive into some of Em's lessons about business, mindset, and just really how we need to stop taking ourselves so seriously. It's absolutely the read that you need. In order to coordinate calendars, We ended up having to do this chat via Skype, so there are a couple of technical glitches in this episode, but I promise you they don't take away from Em's insights and stories. So wherever you're tuning in, life will be different from taking the time to hear from Emma Isaacs. Since we last spoke and since we last had you on the podcast, you, I think you just moved to LA, Um, so that was nearly over two years ago. So yeah, family are now living and based in LA and and now back out and having a bit of time in Australia. So how's life in LA going? Life in LA is amazing. We have finally kind of found our stride in terms of living there. And what I love about the city is it's so fast paced. It's so competitive. Everyone's got a side hustle. Everyone's got two or three jobs. Everyone's ambitious. Everyone's up to something. You know, there's everyone's so interesting, you know, and that's what I find um, a little bit challenging about coming back to Australia and there's a, there's a lot of sameness with, with, with Australia, which is a beautiful thing because it has a lot of comfort to it. But what we love is that LA is just so diverse and because no one kind of is, not no one, but very few people are born and raised in LA. It's people are from other countries and other cities and states. So you find yourself around a boardroom table or a dining table, you know, with 10 other people who just come from such different backgrounds. And I, I love that. I love to be able to pick the brains of people 
um, who I know nothing about their industry or the country they're from. And so, so intellectually it's really, really, really stimulating for us. And what else can I tell you? I mean, the kids have American accents now, which is so hilarious. Um, yeah, the, the middle one firmly has an American accent because she was three when we moved there and she's now five. Um, but the older two put their American accents on from time to time, which is kind of cute. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's been fantastic and, and we're, you know, looking at it as a long-term play for us. Um, you know, the, the business stuff, which I suppose we'll get to, has been um, really, really, really challenging and um, lots of fun and lots of highs and, and lows. Um, but, you know, we, we feel very, very settled there and, again, you know, feel privileged to be able to, you know, dip in and out of the Australian business. and But, yeah, LA is awesome. you got to yeah. come visit, Al. Oh, it's on the bucket list, absolutely. I'll bring the kids and yeah. <laughs> we can just paint LA, <laughs> do it from end to end. Look, congratulations yeah. on the book. Winging It is the, the name of the book. And there are so many stories and so many parts of it that I definitely want to dive into. I want to start with, I guess, diving into a, a story in particular which you go in, into in the book. A few years ago you were invited to a party by a friend of yours where there was going to be a surprise guest. I understand it was, you know, you arrived at this beautiful boutique hotel. There was a security guard at the door. You had to hand in your phone um, and we're really just part of a group of somewhere between 15 people and it turned out that this special guest was Bill Gates himself. Can you describe for me what that experience was like to meet someone that we all know of, but very few have had the opportunity to meet in person? Mm. Well, I was, I don't even know how, how old I was at the time, I and mean, I would have had to be at least kind of, gosh, probably 15 years ago. So I'm giving away my age here, but probably, you know, I was in my early 20s. And you know, we talk about it in the book, I dropped out of uni after six months and my form of education, my kind of real life MBA was through books. And by the time I even went to university, I'd probably read 20 or 25 business biographies um, of people who, you know, I really, really looked up to. And, you know, obviously Bill Gates was on that list. I probably read three or four of books about him or written by him. And so he was my you know, back then, my, my business hero, there was no one else um, that I put above him. And I'd been running my recruitment company for a few years by then. And um, on this night, we go into depth about the story in the book, obviously, but on this night, we had no idea who the special guest was going to be. So for me to realise that it was him, uh, you know, I mean, it was kind of all my entrepreneurial Christmases had come at once. And you know, like I still, I still pinch myself about that night. It was, it was definitely um, kind of a sliding doors moment, I suppose. And you know, I believe nothing's by accident. And looking back on that time, I can see how you know that experience kind of sh- helped shape everything moving forward for me. Um, and and for for a number of reasons, um, you, you know, I'd never had access to someone like that before, let alone you know, and I don't go into it in the book, but what actually ended up happening that night was, um, you know, we were in this small group of people, but Bill is, is, is not good in groups of people. You know, he's much better one-on-one. He, he might contribute to the conversation, but he's much better one-on-one. And so I actually, you know, at that party ended up spending, um, you know, a night on the couch kind of just talking, um, 
you know, really about not about business at all. It was all about you know his his life and and his kids and Melinda and you know it was it was completely surreal to have that experience. And I remember walking out of that um, you know the hotel that night. I had a parking ticket for um, I think it was one hundred and twenty dollars or something at the time. <laughs> and thinking I was like, yes. don't you <laughs> I was know like, who so I've just spoken place. to? <laughs> Yeah, I would pay $120,000 for that experience. Um, and, you know, we, we go into depth into it, about it, sorry, in the book. And for me, it was really the biggest lesson in the fact that we, we put so much distance between successful people and ourselves and we really do um, – it's, it's – it's, uh, how can I articulate this – it's a wrong thing to do because when you separate yourself from a successful person um, and put them on this pedestal that you think you can't reach or you can't touch, it limits you and, and what's possible for yourself. Um, and what I tried to do in the book is show people that through all my experiences, that the Bill, Bill Gates one is one example, but then through all my experiences that I've had, being able to spend time uh, with people who have gone on to achieve tremendous success, that we are all the same, you know, and this is not necessarily a book about humanity, but it's a book to encourage people to sit upright a little bit more and to sit at the table and to back themselves and to honour themselves and their abilities and their skills more and, you know, to, to demystify the fact that we think these people have got it all together and because they're you know, rich or because they're famous or because they're successful or whatever the stories we put around these people. But when it comes down to it, we are all the same and we all have sets of fears and we all have sets of values. And, you know, it's within all of us to be able to make whatever we want of ourselves. Um, yeah. So the, the Bill Gates thing was, was a real turning point for me. And, um, you know, I still I still think about it a lot. And I remember that night, even though it was so many years ago now, but I remember it like, like it was yesterday. Yeah, obviously it was yes. so pivotal for you and that realisation of the commonality for all of us. And I think you're right. I think when you do put successful people sort of up on a pedestal, there is a distancing and it almost um, takes us off the hook from having to do anything because <laughs> we almost come with these lines of, yeah. well, they're successful, yeah. successful yeah. because of this or because of that or, of course, it's Bill Gates, so of course he's successful, but he's just a human being. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's what I tried to, the narrative I really tried to get across um, because the book is, is, I would say, quite deeply personal at, at times. And, you know, I never had a blueprint for, I don't know, wealth creation. I never had a blueprint for investing in properties. I never had a blueprint for business. And none of that, you know, I, I've tried not to let that get in the way. And I think actually the fact that I haven't come from a lot of money or, um, you know, education as we as we know and, and perceive as being the most valuable. I, I think the not knowing has been the biggest gift that I've been able to give myself because, you know, sometimes when you have all the data or all the information, it can really, you know, set you back. So, you know, we called it winging it because that's just been the way I've lived life so far and, and it's worked for me. It's not to say to work for everyone, but, um, yeah, I think 
I think we do with successful people say, oh, they became successful because, you know, they went to Harvard and therefore had the network, therefore could raise the capital, therefore could scale a business. And, you know, we, we need to we need to stop telling those stories and just start with what we have and start somewhere. Um, and that's what I'm trying to encourage people to do. You write so beautifully in the book and um, the, the narrative, like for me, I actually sat down and, and read it in a day. I think I sent you a message <laughs> and my kids had to have tuck shop on the day because I was finishing your book. It was so, um, and not to say that it was, you know, not just to say it was easy to read, but it was very conversational, very much in your language. And um, there certainly were, were parts of it that were very thought-provoking, very confronting, um, and confronting in a way that it really stops and gets you to think. Uh, around what what is it that I can do? For you, was writing a book always on the cards for you, Em? Yeah, definitely. Um, it was interesting. Uh, we had a gorgeous person start with within the business chicks business, and she sat me down. You know, we she started after I moved to LA on one of my trips back to Australia. She sat me down. And she said, "Listen, like I have heard around the offices that people have tried to make you write a book for the last, you know." eight to ten years and I'm the one who's going to make it happen for you and you're not going to be able to get away with not doing it anymore. And I thought, <laughs> I, I sort of thought, oh, who does this person think she is? But, I, but it was it was fantastic because I think sometimes um, there can be a bit of death by committee, you know, when you involve 10 or 15 people in a decision that just doesn't get done. So mm-hmm. she was able to say to me, you and I are going to do this and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get it done. And so, you know, knowing that I started just collating my thoughts and, and I, I, I think everyone has a book in them, right? I really genuinely believe that. Um, and, you know, I love writing. I love storytelling. Um, you know, I, I feel very lucky that my mum was the sort of mum that, um, you know, it helped both my sister and brother and I write before, you know, read and write before we went to school. So books were a huge thing in our house and, um, you know, I always used to just devour two or three a week. Um, so I feel like I have some element of um, writing skill within me um, and, you know, also publishing our magazine over the years and, you know, I went off and educated myself through a number of courses like with the Australian Writers' Centre and have had a number of really great mentors when it comes to writing. So it was inevitable that I would write a book. Uh, it was just a matter of when. I, I think for me the thing was always I'm, you know, in this business that we're in, um, you know, I see my role as a leader as serving our members and serving our people, you know, within the business um, and, and that's why I'm here and that's what I'm here to do in this business and it's really what I'm here to put, you know, put on the planet to do. So it felt a little bit narcissistic to kind of sit down and say, you know what, I'm going to write a book for myself. Um, and there was always a, something else that would come up. You know, a member would reach out and say, hey, will you write, I don't know, a reference for an award submission I'm doing or, you know, will you help me, will you connect me with someone? So, so those things always, in my mind, absolutely come first. Um, but the person who was really, not forceful, it's the wrong word, um, but encouraging that I write a book helped um, guide me and, and blocked out times and, and would come to LA and, and make me switch off every single other piece of technology and just write. And, you know, we, we gamified the whole thing. So we had 
you know, charts and we'd say, today we will get to 55,000 words and she'd let me, you know, cross off when I wrote a thousand words, she'd let me cross it off. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that's really kind of so important. I think to have those people in your corner who just go, right, we're doing this, let's let's get okay. underway. <laughs> Talk me through okay. your um, creative process because I think that's, I mean, you describe what you were put on the planet to do um, is really to support others and, and in their mission and a lot of that, in some ways, this book is a big permission slip just to get out there and have a crack. And yeah. if you don't know about it, that's fine. Most people don't really know what they're doing and you can just figure it out as you go. But it's also a very personal book. There's a lot about yeah. you. There's a lot about your story. And and I am totally agree with you. I think our own stories are really, really powerful. How did you yeah. find and navigate, I guess, the vulnerability of, of writing some of your own your own personal stories? I, I don't. I don't have a problem with putting myself out there. I mean, I'm. I, it's an interesting kind of dichotomy, I think, because I'm actually a deeply private person and very introverted. I, I do energise by being by myself. And you know, if you could, if you put two offers on the table in front of me, like, would you rather go out on the red carpet and meet all these people tonight, or would you rather be at home with a book and a cup of tea? Like, I'm always going to choose the Ugg boots and the cup of tea and the the book. Um, but but. You know, and we, we mentioned this in the book, you know, I believe that vulnerability is a strength and that's just completely ripped off from our, our dear friend Brene Brown. And it's something that I've really tried to work on over the years of, um, you know, how, how do we speak our truth and how do we, um, you know, go deep so that others can go deep afterwards. So for me, the, the being truthful and being vulnerable wasn't a problem. I mean, it it was difficult that there's... Um, a short, short part in the book around my eldest daughter's um, cancer diagnosis, and and that was hard, hard to write. Um, but it was also cathartic in a way to kind of get it out there, and um, you know, it make it not be part of me anymore. You know, it's sort of separate to me now, and there was a healing in that. And and yeah, I I, I don't know, I, I I don't struggle with the vulnerability thing. I think it's important for all of us, particularly as women. Uh, you know, this this book. Yeah, I know I said it to you and gorgeous, your better half, Darren, said once I got past the pink cover, he absolutely loved reading it. Um, so it's not just a book for women, but but I think it's when we can all encourage each other to, you know, own up to what we're struggling with and have the conversations that need to be ha- had. And I don't know, I, I just see that as my responsibility to, to do that. So it wasn't, it wasn't tricky for me. I mean, I, I think any sort of creative project that you do, you've got to understand that for most of it, you're going to feel a level of overwhelm and and you're going to feel stuck for most of it, which is generally like that's my worst feeling. I hate not progressing. I hate not moving forward. I hate feeling like I'm treading water. Um, but again, if you have someone to kind of guide you and go, this is all the process. You're meant to be feeling this way right now. Just, you know, do something which can push it forward a little bit today. Um, and there were certainly days when I, would write a sentence and I get to the end of the day thinking that's it I'm crap um I'm not writing this book and I'd have a little tantrum and then I'd wake up the next day and I'd I'd start again and and just keep going I think that's the overall you know thing with life isn't it like how quickly can you pick yourself up and and how can you keep propelling yourself forward and you know it doesn't have to be you know in in miles it can just be literally one step at a time and, and just you know, eventually those steps become, you know, something. Something. A book. Yes. A something. Business, that's, you know, yeah. Yeah. 
Mm. It's just navigating that point in time where you are and what do I do next? And it's all okay. It's all okay along the way. You touched on before that that first six months in LA was pretty tough, pretty brutal for you. And again, you describe this a little bit in the book. Um, I think it's under the heading fail spectacularly. <laughs> uh, and not that going to the LA was a failure, but just that it was it was a tough period for you. Can you walk me through what that period was like for you personally? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, look, it's very kind of you to say six months. I, I think the reality is more like it was a very tough two years. We've been there for almost two and a half years. Oh, I feel like I've only just kind of emerged um, now from it. Um, you know, for, for myriad reasons, you know, we went over there to launch the business, Chick's business into the US and we, ha- we had done, before we even moved there, we'd done a series of events and they'd all been fantastic. Um, that all cost a lot of money, so we'd lost a huge amount of money. Um, but, you know, it showed us that there was a, there was a massive brand and still to this day not, not a day to buy without one of our members saying, when's the next event and, and the whole thing. But the reality is, um, you know, I just couldn't make the same model work in the US. And for those really two years, we were just absolutely hemorrhaging cash. And I found myself in an interesting position in that the Australian business was funding the US, the US startup. And that in itself throws up challenges because I'd um, put, put a CEO into the leadership role here in Australia who's a phenomenal operator, much better at the job than I'll ever be, and her role is to um, continue the growth that I had started. Her, her role is to drive profits. So you can see immediately how that throws up a challenge in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, I'm asking her on one hand to um, keep my beloved business going in Australia and then on the other hand I'm bleeding her to, to drive funds to do what I want to do in the, in the US. Um, so lots of um, friction, Not not I'm not talking about friction um, with people but lots of um, ideological f- friction and it was a very, very, very confusing time for me to have a lot of people on one hand say, oh, we want more of what you do, we love it, there's nothing like this, it's amazing. And, and you know, it, it really was, um, for all intents and purposes, um, a beautiful experience because, it you know, there was just, like I said, so much love and, and so many people keen to support us. Um, but, you know, ultimately it, it really was uh, a failure. You know, it didn't work in the same um, way it works here in Australia. Um, it's not to say that I've given up on it completely and I've actually just um, signed, um, raised a huge amount of business checks in the States. So, I mean, I mean, the story has a happy happy ending, but, um, you know, business chicks as turnkey, pick it up and drop it into the States, didn't work the first time around. Um, and it's, it's you know, it's, it's not a full stop at all. It's just a, I'm going to take a breather. I'm putting this on ice for the moment. Um, I'm figuring out what to do next. I have a very, very strong plan for the next 12 months of what this new business looks like. And... Um, you know, I'm, I'm armed with all the knowledge um, and lessons learned and mistakes I made. And you know what? Like, so be it. I mean, um, you know, we, we lost uh, close to $2 million in the whole um, experience or experiment, call it what you will. Um, and, you know, I, I think I talked about it in the book. I, that, that to me doesn't really... And that sounds funny, but it doesn't really bother me. It's, business for me has never really been about money. I mean, you absolutely 
have to, um, you know, turn a profit and be successful and, and numbers are a huge driver for that, but it's just never, it's never been about the money for me. Um, and I think if you, yeah, it's, it's hard and, and I'm sure people understand if they read the book and, and read more into my mindset around money, but it's just not the sole driver for me. So whilst we did lose a lot of money, what we gained and what we'll learn um, moving forward is, is so much more valuable to me than the, you know, the cold hard cash. What sort of springboard do you think that experience has given you now with, you know, potentially looking at what might be new um, in moving forward? I, I think it's everything. I think I grossly mis- uh, misrepresented or under, underestimated um, how challenging moving um, to another country would be, just that in itself. You know, we had four kids at the time. I had another baby while um you know, we were over there. Um, just the experience of trying to settle a family like that takes a huge amount of investment of your time. You know, the kids needed more of me. Um, you know, the US is a very, 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 very different place to do business. Um, you know, the cultural nuances in the way we even email each other, um, the sales cycle and how long it is. Um, you know, America is very, very, very conservative, which you get surprised, even though people yeah. tell you it still takes you by surprise. Um, but, you know, I ultimately think it's made me a much stronger entrepreneur. It's made me a much stronger business person. You know, and, and the U.S.'s take on failure is, is, is so interesting. You know, it's, it's completely different to what we experience here. You know, we, we're not proud to fail here. We don't understand failure, um, and the U.S. really, really um, celebrate it. You know, it's always like you get a high five if you fuck up. I'm allowed to swear. <laughs> you totally allowed to swear. <laughs> I love that. So you've, um, so you somehow you've won by by really fucking up. <laughs> oh, I don't know, but I don't know about that. But look, I I, I think. Um, I'm very grateful for the experience. Um, yeah, it's, it's the start of many, many good things to come. I've got a tremendous network over there with some really, really, really um, powerful people, great supporters, great mentors, um, and so lots of good to come out of it. And, and like I said, I think the business chicks thing is um, it will happen. It's just that, you know, I'm taking a breather for the moment and, um, you know, watch this space, Al. Let's see. I'm excited. I'm sure it'll be, yeah, it'll be something that'll teach you lessons and uh, find a journey and a story along the way. One of the things I, I loved about this book, not only is um, there a lot of encouragement, but there's also some some home truths. And I love the way that you've just tell it how it is in a few different circumstances. Uh, a couple of examples I've got are, you know, there's a phrase in there that you say, we live in an age where entrepreneur- entrepreneurship is glorified. It's like everyone else becomes one. You can make, you know, squillions of dollars by in your first couple of years of business. These kind of stories kind of get perpetuated. The other one is that... Um, which I love really struck me. If you want to connect with someone like a mentor or someone successful, don't buy them lunch, whatever you do. <laughs> <laughs> they can afford their own lunch, don't need to buy it. How important is it for us to just tell it how it is? Oh, babe, I mean, I, I wear, you know, a level of responsibility, I feel. Um, I think we've all 
got to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the glorification of entrepreneurship does worry me and it's something that confuses me as well because on one hand I, I do want to tell everyone, you know, running a business is the, the best thing you could ever do um, and we go into it in the book quite a lot. I, I think, you know, everyone should have a go at some point um, and, you know, we should expect for your business once, you know, when it's in the early days to completely consume you but there also comes a time when we you know, might have to sit down and say, okay, hang on a sec, are the benefits of this, um, you know, outweighing the, the costs, you know? Um, yeah. So there, there will come a time where the benefits, um, you know, will be overshadowed by the costs of, of trying to get something off the ground. And I don't know. I just see a lot of people struggling in their, in their businesses, you know, mainly small businesses, and, and it leads to a lot of stress within families and it leads to a lot of self-loathing and, you know, I'm a failure and I couldn't make it work. But, you know, you, I just want to encourage people to really sit with, with the truth of whether their business is working and, if they have just bought themselves a job or if, you know, they're, they're truly, truly happy. And I, I think it all kind of circles back to something that we all know but we all kind of forget, you know, and that's the reason why we started in the first place. You know, was it to make a ton of money? Was it to increase our skills? Was it to get more um, time with our families? Whatever the reason, there's no judgment around that, but it's just really sitting with the truth of that and saying, am I fulfilling on why, why I started in, in the first place? Um and yeah, I, I think it's everyone's responsibility to to really paint an accurate picture of, of what it's like. And um, I feel that comes with a bit of maturity. Um, you know, I, I I think we're all guilty of this. And social media doesn't help us. You know, we 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 do have the highlight reel, and it all looks really you know flash from the outside. And not, you know, I try and do my best on social media to tell the truth and, and paint a real picture, but it's tempting to just, you know, put up the, the pictures that look nice and tell the happy stories because that's easier. But I, I, I do believe we all have a ability to talk about what it's really like and to, you never want to taint the experience because, you know, and this is the thing as well, Al, like, I mean, people will tell you things when you're starting out and you won't listen to them anyway. That's <laughs> <Right? laughs> so true. Yeah. Yeah, so true. And it's not, sometimes I don't think it's about tainting the experience because you can, you can go through a, you know, a frustrating moment and you, the highlight of your business week in the same hour and we forget that they, they coexist. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And that, that's really the skill of an entrepreneur right there. It's how do you regulate the ups and downs because, you know, you can get a huge client win and the next day another client doesn't pay $20,000. So it's, it's, I think one of the biggest skills we can work on as entrepreneurs is how do you regulate emotionally and how do you deal with the, the, you know, the waves that can grip you so often. And, um, you know, it's something I try and work on a, a whole heap and we talk about it a lot in the book as well. It's, it's cultivating that mindset and, and really working on your self-talk. I think it's super important as well. Yeah, you do you do unpack that quite a lot in the book and there's a lot of uh, practicality that you go through. You talk about money, relationship with money, understanding money, as well as some practicalities around business. Uh, you know, how to, what does business actually mean? How you can be innovative? Um, the, one of your points being around pretend that you don't have a budget to begin with. What would you do? How would you tackle that project? How would you, how would your team move forward and really to kind of combat some of that, I guess, mentality even amongst the people that you're starting to hire. Um, 
talk a lot about it being around the customer, but all, all of that really does come back to this concept of the mindset. What, in a really practical term, what helps you um, keep the right mindset in business? What are some of the practical things that you do? Is it the people that you connect with? Is it books that you read? What are the ways that you keep that mindset um, right for you to keep moving forward? I think the big thing was, you know, mindset is such a deeply personal experience. Um, one of the things that helps me a whole heap is having a business coach. And, um, you know, I've had one for pretty much, you know, mo- most of my career. And I can tell you the times when I haven't, you know, I've had time, times off, if you like, from my coach and have really seen that in, in my performance. But so, so that kind of, you know, see why you're struggling and, and what you need to do differently has been really, really helpful for me. Um, I, I believe that mindset is like a muscle that we need to keep flexing and need to keep practicing. So, you know, it's, I just watch myself talk all the time and, you know, I, I think I, I think I was born really quite, um, you know, my, but that's not to say I don't fall into the depths of despair every now and then. Um, but it's really just about picking myself up. And I think also we, we talk about in the book, it's, it's really about stopping comparing yourself to everyone else. Um, you know, for me, I know that if I have a dark moment, it can be because, I don't know, I've seen that someone else has accomplished something that I haven't accomplished and then it's like, oh, that's not fair and why hasn't it happened to me yet and I work just as hard and, blah, blah, blah. and then, then you get into this kind of, you know, hamster wheel of um, negativity and, uh, you know, self-loathing and it, it just, it, it, it's unnecessary and we all do it and the quicker that you can find yourself doing it the quicker you can kind of slap yourself across the face and say don't be stupid like that's that's their journey and that's fantastic and they should do that and your time will come and be patient and be kind and you know if something's meant for you it will be yours and and you know just just moving on but I, I think the business coach is really a really great one I think just watching self-talk is really really important um and I think it's about having positive people around you to um you know really help you see that whatever you're going through is is natural um and people people view things differently you know I'm often um, you know, calling on people that, that I work closely with to say, you know, how, how do you view this? And, and I'll give me a completely different perspective to how I see something. So, you know, and then again, Al, it's all about just being gentle and being kind. You know, I, I really, I think I used to beat myself up a lot more when I was younger. And, um, you know, I've been in business for almost 20 years now. And I think when I was younger, I used to be a lot more hard on myself. But now I've really relaxed into the fact that, you know, I just need to get better myself and I don't want to compete against you and I just want to try to do my best in every moment and, and it's really that return to kind of, you know, it should be fun. <laughs> like yeah. we, do, we just take it so seriously. Um, and, and so whenever I kind of get into that way of thinking, I'm like, you know, let's let's just lighten up here because, I mean, we're, we're not – you know, I mean, there, there, are a few, there are a few businesses out there who are absolutely changing the world and saving lives. But, you know, in our business, we want to make life, life better for women. And that's great. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not um, cardiac surgery. So I just try and lighten up and, and, you know, impact the way my team feels by having fun. And, and yeah, remembering that it's, it's not all there is to life. Yeah, it's okay that there's other parts of your life and who you are and it's not to yeah. say you're any less committed to, to your journey and where you want to go, but 
um, yeah, mm. laughter and, and lightness and fun are, and playfulness are a cool part of um, certainly what I see and what I, I hear in your kind of spirit and the way that you run and develop things at Business Chicks. Now, obviously, I understand it's been 13 years Business Chicks has been going. Yeah, that that's crazy. Huge. That is crazy. It's it's an amazing amount of time, and and you've built a, an incredible culture at Business Chicks. Anyone who's ever been to a Business Chicks event um, or has met any of your staff, you get the sense of um, just who they are. There's just a real connectedness in that space. And you go into in the book, you talk a lot about uh, how to build an amazing culture some strategies and again they're really grounded some of them are just kind of home truths but it is kind of flipping on its head just the way to kind of treat your people what's what has surprised you most about the culture that has been created at business chicks what surprised me the most is how it's lived on um, with me not being here for the last two and a half years and that's something that I'm probably most proud of. Um, you know, it helps that the CEO I put into the business after I left had worked with me. You know, she was in my first business for uh, four or so years and she left to go somewhere else and she came and did a stint at Business Chicks for six years. Then she left and went somewhere else and then she came back and now she's in the CEO seat. Um, so, you know, I think that was a really um you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud and kind of surprised that I had the foresight to kind of navigate through that and know that I needed to do that. Um, but I think when a founder has such strong DNA, putting someone in who um, knows the way that founder thinks and knows about the way that founder makes decisions and knows the founder's values, I think that is everything. And, you know, whilst I think I thought, oh, I'll put, um, live into the role and, you know, I'll be completely hands off. But I certainly was for probably the first year and a half. And, um, you know, but I, I did come up to Australia kind of six or seven times every year, which was brutal in itself. But, you know, popping back into the community and popping back into HQ and, and you know, making sure everything was still as I would want it. And, and look, we've, we've had many kind of come to Jesus moments in that time where Liv and I will kind of say, okay, well, what happened there? Let's let's um, talk about it. Um, but ultimately I think if you have the, um, you know, if you're lucky, you know, like I was to know someone and to have worked with someone so closely, that really helped when I was able to exit the business to have someone who just knew how I operated so well. And, you know, it's, it's, it's probably what I'm most proud of. You know, I, I had a business chicks event in Melbourne last week that I went to and I had to go and do a nervous wee in the toilet and I walked into the toilet and there was a, you know, motivational sign behind the bathroom door. And I, I didn't even know what it said, but I, you know, I just was like, this is great. You know, I remember having this idea to do this 13 years ago and it still lives on, even though I'm mm. not here, you know, um, cause I mean, like that's a captive audience, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's when we inject motivation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything you wish you knew about, about culture 13 years ago when you started out? I wish I knew that it was hard and I wish I knew, I wish someone had told me that I was going to stuff up a lot of times around people and I wish I knew that no matter what you do, and look, I'm still learning this, but no matter what you do, you can bend over backwards with people, um, you know, you can give them your left arm, but they're, they're just, it's not, you cannot please everyone. And I think as women, it's still, 
a really big lesson and I think we all have at some level the disease to please. And, you know, I wish someone had told me that it's okay not to be liked and as a leader you're actually going to have to make a lot of decisions that are going to make you unpopular. And people also, I I wish I'd kind of known that the more successful you get, the more people want to topple you over Um, and, you know, you kind of think, why, why would they want to? Why would they want to do that? I'm, I'm so nice, and I've been so nice to them, and I've, I've done things for them throughout my career, and I thought we were cool. Um, you know, and my coach was actually one to help me through this. She's like, you know, it's actually human nature; it's survival to want to topple people over it. It, it means that, you know, there's absolutely nothing personal about it. It's just a human trait that, um, you know, we all have on some level, and. I don't know. I, I, I struggle with that. That's a um, hard one to navigate because rationally that makes sense. Um, but and emotionally mm. you want to go, yeah, but not me. What? <laughs> but don't yeah. you know who I am and the nice things I've done? And and I think that is stronger for women than it is for men, that sense of um, not necessarily want to please but definitely want to prove that, hey, I'm I'm an okay person. And sometimes yeah. those experiences yeah. can feel like it contradicts that. So, yeah, yeah. How, how have you navigated through that? Obviously having a, a business coach has been really helpful, but what other things have helped you to, I guess, yeah, become okay with other people maybe not liking you or, or wanting to, yeah, topple over that success? Yeah, I mean, I think like with any emotion you feel, there's always a mirror that you have to put up, right? You know, and if, if you feel enraged or upset about something, generally looking in the mirror is the fastest way to get over it because it's generally your shit and not someone else's. So, um, you know, I've really tried over the years to spend a lot of time in personal development and in coaching uh, to um really kind of unravel why I think a certain way or, you know, all that family of origin stuff, um, you know, I think it's really important to, you know, be reflective on, you know, how your family shaped your beliefs and how your family life and experiences shaped who you are and, and you know, I've done a lot of kind of stuff like that, you know, courses like Landmark Forum and, um, you know, I just I just really strongly feel that you'll never, ever regret educating yourself or attending an event or attending a course or reading a book. Um, and whilst my path to education hasn't been kind of linear and conventional, I just see myself as a, as a student and I'm, I'm happy to invest that way. So, you know, in, instead of being a victim, if, if, you know, if I experience something and someone's, you know, um, I don't know, it's not the right way to say it, but like being mean to me or something. I always just put the mirror up and say, okay, well, what's triggering in you and, you know, are you being a victim here? And, you know, I, I think about things very deeply. I I mean, I'm a cancerian to start with, so I'm highly sensitive. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do spend a lot of time studying, um, you know, I don't watch TV. I, 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 I try and work on my, my head and the way I think. And, yeah, it's it's just a lot of self reflection and talking with others. And I, now I sound like I'm completely addicted to therapy or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I, I just think deeply about things and I don't kind of go I don't brush it off. I, you know, I really let that sit with me and let it wash over. And what can I learn from that? And how can I let that um, experience fuel me? And how can I? You know, it's all about how can I show up in the world for others and how can I do better? And why is that triggering for me? And yeah, I think it's just 
really studying it and giving it the time it deserves and not just, oh, no, it's fine, you're just not brushing it off. And I think that's important for us to just sit and be. Often, um, whether it's social media or um you know, there's other ways, and, and I know Brene Brown talks about it, it's almost like the numbing. It's almost like, oh, that's a bit painful, that's a bit prickly, well, I'll, I'll just have a see what's going on on Facebook or I'll have a quick look through Instagram and, and we don't often just kind of sit and, uh, yeah, just work our way, what's going on for me. It's, it's, it, I, I'm, I'm really happy to sit in the pain. I mean, it's icky and awful and whatever, but I'm, I'm absolutely willing to go there and I'm willing to shine a light on it and, I, I, yeah, try not um, ignore it because I just feel like anything that we ignore, it gets pushed deeper down and that can't be good for us. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cool to go there. <laughs> yeah. You've obviously navigated some hard things and you mentioned before your beautiful daughter, Miller, and her um, her experience with, with cancer at a, quite a young age. Now she's come through that and she's healthy and a resilient, um, beautiful girl. What did that experience teach you? Hmm. Oh gosh, I mean, lots. Um, I think the greatest teacher was just a um, kind of check in on where we were at and where, what we'd already accomplished and how much we had already achieved. No, I'm not talking from a business sense, but you know, we, um, I don't know, my husband and I have a very strong relationship. Uh, you know, I'm sure like every single marriage in the world, it's it's not perfect but we were very tight and we communicated through it beautifully and and let out let the experience bring us closer together rather than what it does to a lot of couples and that just divides and and they never fully recover from it so it gave us that um it gave us a tremendous sense of perspective in that role and I we were both uh, self-employed at the time and we were able to take time off from our businesses to focus completely on Miller and her appointments and, and her health. So a tremendous amount of perspective and, and gratitude for that. Um, and, and yeah, like just not to get too woo-woo on you, but, you know, it, it really just, you know, I mean, it's people won't understand this when I say this, but it was a, it was a really big gift for us. It was um, just to appreciate every moment um, that we have and, and that nothing's for granted and that surprises are going to come and I'm sure we'll have surprises, you know, many, many more surprises in our life and, you know, we, we just tried to, I don't know, you know, like accept it and be there for her and, and you know, use that experience to help others really and they say that that's the fastest way to kind of get out of depression or to get through a difficult time is to kind of turn turn the tables around and don't complain and, we, we could have wallowed and said, oh, why is this happening to us and it's not fair and, but, you know, we have a really he- healthy, chemical-free household, What you know, nothing, nothing we did made this happen. You know, we just didn't do any of that. We're like, okay, great, these are the cards we've been dealt. What do we have to do? How can we use this experience to help others and um, learn something from it? And, and I, I, I'm really proud of the way we got through it. I mean, I don't want to minimise it at all because um, a lot of families don't have the same outcome as, as we had. And as you said, she's a very happy and healthy nine-year-old girl now. She was diagnosed when she was four. Um, so I, I don't want to minimise it experience because it's different for every single person but for us you know the type of cancer she had was um highly treatable which which was lucky um so you know i I felt fairly strongly from the outset that we were going to get through it it's just about how gentle and, and graceful we could make it for everyone and you know we held our heads high and 
even though it came with a tremendous amount of pain and, and suffering, there's no doubt, we emerged from that feeling really proud of the relationship that we'd had with all the medical staff and we have been good to the hospital ever since. Um, and, you know, I, I suppose a beautiful thing to come out of it, I often get an email or, um, you know, a phone call out of nowhere from people saying, hey, my neighbours just been diagnosed and I've got no idea how to support them and what can I do, what did you guys need at that moment? And, you know, so, so conversations like that have really, I know, impacted other families who have gone through similar um you know, circumstances and, and it's just been nothing but a huge gift. I mean, you know, there are, we are um, finding with Miller now that, um, you know, you can re- never really know how an experience like that's going to shape a child. You know, she'll, she still has some shame about it, you know, some shame around losing all her hair through, through chemo and, um, you know, we have to work on, on that. But, you know, ultimately she can say that she's a survivor and, and she handled herself so beautifully and, and I think that Ro and I and our families did as well. So, we're, you know, we're proud of it. You describe in there how she's she's almost a character who looks out for others and even in her treatment she um, she did that and that, no doubt that's a trait that she'll continue to carry forward. And it's a beautiful part of that experience as well. One of the one of the theories you do mention in the book, you talk about the four burner theory, and I guess it's really to kind of combat this work life balance, uh, which is a word that's out there. <laughs> Can you just talk me through uh, what the four burner theory is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the four burner theory wants you to see your life as you know a cooktop stove with four burners going, and those four burners are family. Their work, they are, you put me on the spot here, um, friends is another one and health is another one. And the theory is just that to be successful, you should turn one of your burners off. But if you want to be super, mega, uber successful, you should turn two of them off. And, you know, I, it's something that I kind of been talking about for a long, long time before someone said to me, oh, that's a four burners theory. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> it's got a name. <laughs> Um, but you know, I, I've been asked over the years, you know, how, how do you do it all? You know, and what I'd always, the way I'd always answer that question is, well, I really only do two things well, and that's I focus on my business and I focus on my family. And, um, you know, I, I have a small handful of friends, but I, I don't really, you know, socialize a whole heap. I don't go to a lot of events that I get invited to. Um, you know, I certainly don't at the moment prioritize my, my health a lot. You know, before marriage and kids, I used to be at the gym every day and, um, you know, that, that it's just, it's just, you know, not something that I spend any time, you know, very, very little time on. Um, and I find that, you know, this theory holds up for almost everyone that you speak to and when people are struggling with overwhelm, um, they're just trying to trying to do too much. They're just trying to do way too much. Perhaps they've got a fear of saying no. Perhaps they don't know how to switch one of those burners off. Um, perhaps they're just completely unaware that they're doing it. But, you know, for me, I've, I've got the five kids uh, that range from Miller is nine now and, and little Bubs is 10 months. Um, and, you know, I, I just worked out pretty pretty early on if I wanted to keep popping babies out. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I was, I was I only had capacity to do two things, and and so I have this razor like focus when I'm in my business. And you know, people have called me 
you know, um, hard for having this this kind of outlook. But you know, when I'm in my business, I am am showing up for my people in my business, and I it's almost as if I forget that I have a family. And I, I know that sounds quite cold hearted, but it's it's how I've been able to do both. And then when I'm home, I do absolutely everything I can to try and focus on those little humans and be my absolute all for them. Um, and you know, that means taking a lot of holidays. It it means, um, having a lot of one-on-one time with the kids. It means sacrificing a lot in terms of, you know, sleep and, and, and those things. Um, but I, I just think we're, we're running the story that we have to be all things to all people in this work-life balance. You know, you do have to be fit and healthy and make the right foods and you have to be a great leader in your business and you have to be a great mom. And, you know, you've got to be out there making the cakes for your friends as well. And I don't know, I, look, maybe people can make it work. I, I have found of all the successful people that I've studied over the years and from whatever level of success I've achieved, the way to do it is just to pick two and, um, you know, really, really focus on those. And, and also then it comes back to as well being gentle and kind. And I know there will be times, yeah, I can't wait to, I was, going to, I was about to lie, I was going to say, I can't wait to do a triathlon. I can absolutely wait for that. <laughs> Chaos but, smoothies you know, every morning. <laughs> no, but I, 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 you know, I, I do, I love exercising and I, I used to be an absolute junkie and I, and I get all the, um, you know, biological benefits. I, I get it. I get it. We all get it. Intellectually, we get it. But whether that's possible at the moment um, for me, it's, it's just not. But I look forward to a time when I can kind of, you know, ease back on the family stuff, or perhaps I can ease back on the work stuff and focus more on my on my friends. But um, you know, I, I just do the two really well, and the others can come later. Beautiful. It's such a good reminder. It's not that we, you know, you have to be detrimental to your health or friends they are still there but it's just not that laser-like focus it's not the thing that that you're absolutely working on look I'm going to wrap up with one last question now normally I ask a question because it's called standout life but you've already received that question so I'm going to slightly (laughs) change that given uh, we've got you back on the series so my question is going to be around your title of your book Um, if life is about winging it what does winging it mean to you Oh, winging it for me, I mean, I chose that title because I have had a pattern in my life of doing everything before I was ready. Um, You know, I think that we wait for opportunities. I think we wait to be tapped on the shoulder. I think we wait until we have enough time. I think we wait till we have enough money. I think we wait till we have enough confidence. And to me, winging it is just about getting in there and having a go despite having the perfectly planned out you know, blueprint of how it's going to work, um, you know, and I just want to encourage people to to take that first step and, and to really check in and see what's in their heart and what do they really, really want to do, you know, what what's that one thing they want to do if they knew they could not fail. Um, and, you know, for me, I, I can't imagine a life without winging it every single day. It's what I aspire to be and it's what I want to encourage the, the world to, to do. Beautiful, Em, and the book is amazing. It's out on bookshelves, and if you haven't got it yet, make sure you grab a copy. We'll put all the links in the show notes. It's been such a delight to chat with you. Uh, All the best on the whirlwind circuit of of getting the book out there now where the real world starts, and um, can't wait to catch up with you again soon. Thanks, Ali. You're the best. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. 
you can grab a copy by heading to my website www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.